Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. It's no secret that there are considerable challenges facing higher education right now. The teaching and learning methods of the past are becoming obsolete, and time-worn processes have all but lost their effectiveness. No longer will the take-no-action or move-forward-with-incremental-change mindsets sustain operations. Colleges are closing their doors at an alarming rate, and some are teetering on the edge of existence. It's time to join the Alliance, the Alliance for Innovation and Transformation, better known as AFIT. Check them out at afithighered.com. That's A-F-I-T, highered.com. If you want to be at the forefront of technology and innovation in education, it's time to look at AFIT. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education and beyond. My name is Dr. Joe Salustio. I am always joined. I was, I'm always sometimes joined by my co-host, Elizabeth Liba. Unfortunately, she is not here today, so she falls into the sometimes category today. She isn't able to join me, but I do have two guests. So I believe that we're going to have more than enough opinion and more than enough amazingness to go around that it's okay that Liz isn't here today, but I'll channel her as I ask my questions. And at the end, um, I will ask our guests who their favorite EdUp Experience host is, which they only have one answer. So that will work in my favor uh, and without Liz here to debate. So there you go, guys. Um, this is a really special episode of the EdUp Experience. It's brought to you by the Alliance for Innovation and Transformation, uh, better known as AFIT. And you can check them out at afithighered.com, the Alliance for Innovation and Transformation. And we are here today to discuss diversity, equity, inclusion in higher education. I have two guests. They are on the executive committee of AFIT. They are also college and university presidents. I have with me today, Dr. Kate Hetherington. She's president of Howard Community College and Dr. Jackie Elliott, president of Central Arizona College. I think I got all of that right. Did I not? You did. Yes. Yes, you did. Okay, good. That saves me at any time. I'll tell you guys, that was a mouthful, but I am so excited to have you both here. As you know, um, I don't have to tell you this, but I'm going to tell our audience this, not, and they know this too, but diversity, equity, inclusion has really been a, a point of discussion and topic. And um, you got the Gates Post-Secondary Value Commission report coming out, and there's just so much around the social structures uh, and the necessity for diversity, equity, inclusion, including the multicultural majority that will be the future student, um, the, the new traditional student of the future. And so, Kate, I'll start with you. And I think the first question is um, really for me is around, uh, let's start here. Let's talk about the fallout that COVID created in community colleges and really colleges in general, and that many um, Latin and Black students uh, really left the higher education system. They um, 
you know, whether to go to work, whether COVID impacted their family. I mean, you know, hunger is a real thing uh, when you're dealing with students. Getting those students back into the system to close the equity, back into the higher ed system to close the equity gap is really essential work for us in higher education right now to ensure that we are helping a diverse student body. So is that a focus for you at your institution? And then Jackie, we'll move to you. Uh, yes, Joe, and thanks for having um, me on the program along with my esteemed colleague, Jackie. We're looking forward to this conversation. Uh, first of all, uh, the college where I work, Howard Community College, is a very diverse community. In fact, uh, it's the uh, majority uh, is of um, not, not whites, it's uh, everything but. And uh, one of the things that we have been hit with is that even though we're in one of the wealthiest counties in the United States, we have pockets of poverty here. And uh, prior to the pandemic, we had about at least half of our, almost half of our students receiving some type of financial aid. Back in the fall of 2020, it was up to about 63%. And that was because we were uh, using uh, funds from the federal government to help support students. Uh, so we were thinking, well, you know, we made it through the fall semester with a slight dip enrollment. Spring should be okay because, you know, we're we're doing everything we can to help students with support services, online services, you name it. Um, faculty were doing a tremendous job. Lo and behold, we took a hit, like we saw across the country in spring enrollments. We were down 11%, which is one of the worst um, percentages we've been down in, in our history. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that we were, uh, our students were being affected. And a big part of it is because they had uh, financial challenges. Many of them were single heads of household. Uh, they were facing the basic needs. I, I often refer to as the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you have to put food on your table and gas in your car to try and get to work, if you still have a job, have a roof over your head, you're not thinking about education. That's probably the last thing you're thinking about. So we've had to, especially doing it now, do tremendous outreach to our students, whether it's a direct calling, um, email, social media, to try and get them back and let them know that funds are available. Because we have, thanks to the federal government, stimulus funds that can help support students in addition to what they already had through maybe the Pell Grant um, or student loans. But uh, it's, it's been a challenge and it's, um, we were down this first summer session with our enrollment about 5% and uh, right now for our fall semester we're flat and it shouldn't be that way. We're, we're here to help people get back to work, get the skills they need, but it's a challenge and you know the other element I'll throw in here is uh, the mental health challenges that people have been facing, anxiety, depression during COVID. Uh, we saw a huge uptick in uh, counseling, which now we've transformed into telecounseling um, because our students were feeling it and our employees were too. We, we had to push our, um, our make available, I should say, and continue to make available our um, uh, employee uh, plan that we have to address issues related to mental health. So it's a confluence of factors coming into play, but it's primarily hitting our students that are low income, uh, what we call our underserved students or students of color, it's really hitting them hard. Yeah, and uh, th thank you, Kate, and I agree, and I've been hearing that, you know, really across the board as we talk to folks. And, and Jackie, let me ask you, 
as you um, assuming that the same is true for your uh, your university college, do you think that reengaging these? You know, I, let me let me re ask that because it, my fear, and I'm sure yours as well, is that when students leave the higher ed system, in the best of times, they're like a fender bender away from using using it as justification of why you can't you know, continue in education, right? It's like a $300 bill away from quitting school all the time when you're dealing with low income uh, populations. And, you know, this, you know, something like coronavirus and now the fallout, even though we're coming back to what we would say, whatever the new normal looks like, are they able to be re-engaged, Jackie? Do you think students want to come back to school or is it a convincing process? Um, Joe, I agree with you 100%. It's a convincing process. One of the things we did learn really early on in COVID is you can't, we, we get the CARES dollars and we, um, I don't want to use the phrase, but I will throw money at the students, you know, have a free class or um, we, we, we gave the, the CARES dollars to students directly to them to help offset the cost. And so we've had to really step back and think about our students. We're a predominantly Hispanic serving institution. 78% of our students received um, are Pell eligible. And so we really had to start talking conversations about, yes, money is a commodity to our poor students, but if you're poor and you don't have um, uh, a washer and dryer at home, time's a commodity to you because it takes time to go and do your laundry. If you don't have a vehicle, time is a commodity to you because you have to wait on public transportation to get where you're going here and from. For many of us, internet is, is a privilege, but for many of our students, the places they relied on Wi-Fi for the school or maybe the McDonald's was not necessarily an option during the COVID. So they became completely disconnected from us as an institution. And we have to think about their, their personal lives beyond just, oh, we're gonna move everything online and that's gonna be more convenient for you. Well, yes, it may be more convenient, but there are so many other commodities eating up at the time for our poor students. So we are like Kate, um, and I'm again, I should have said thank you for having me on and along with, with my esteemed um, colleague, Kate, but the call campaigns, you have to meet students where they're at. And so at our institution, we're having a lot of conversations about and including students in the conversations, where are you at now post COVID? What, what is your home situation look like? What, what all of our lives changed um, during these past 18 months. Uh, but for our poorer students, it changed more dramatically and dra drastically. And we can't imagine what that looks like unless we sit down and talk to our students. And what we found is many of them, of course, um, had to go to work because they were caring for maybe um, uh, parents um, many of our students, if you look at the national da data, the students that Kate and I serve, almost 56% of them are working either part-time or full-time while trying to attend school. So many of our students lost their jobs, so they lost the income to be able to keep up their homes and their livelihoods while also attending college, even though we were giving them money uh, through the CARES dollars. So I think it's going to take it's going to be a three-year recovery um, to get our enrollments. I don't know what Kate's thinking in her head, but for me, um, it's, it's probably a three-year recovery time. But we also have conversations about the return on investment on retaining a student. If we have a student now 
how do we keep that student? How do we keep them engaged in, in the learning experience? Because it will, it, it's going to change. It, it, it has changed and it will continue to evolve. So I may have gotten off topic there, but I think it, it's, it's a twofold approach, not only first, seek first to understand, then be understood. So we have to understand where our students are coming from. We have to remove so many more barriers now than, than what we had in place pre-COVID. Um, because uh, nope. their situations have changed. Yeah, yeah no, Jackie, I, well, I love going off topic, by the way. Like, <laughs> if we can go off topic and, and come back around a topic, that's what makes these episodes so much fun. And I want to stick with you, Jackie, and I want to um, uh, uh, follow uh, something that you were talking about, which is the broadband internet access piece. Um, that is one of the, uh, and I've said this before on previous ed- episodes, but that is one of the areas that has been revealed as a... a um, a consequence of coronavirus. It existed before, but nobody was really saying much about challenges broadband internet access. When you go online and you can't, and you know you you have to be at home, it's like okay, wait a minute. I was going to my school to have internet access. Now I'm at home. I can't go anywhere. I can't access what I need. I'm just gonna forget it at this point. So internet access, whether you're in person as a student or whether you're going to be online is one of the challenges of our time, I think, as as, uh, higher education leaders. When it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, of course, broadband internet access is is less accessible in the lower income populations than it is in higher income populations. I think that goes without saying. So um, those uh, that are lower income first gen students are most affected. What are you doing or if anything, or what conversations are you a part of or having around that issue to prepare for the future uh, of, of learning? Well, that's a really tough one, Joe, because we purchased hotspots and gave hotspots to our students. But one of the things that we forget, we live in Arizona and we have valleys and mountains. And some of our students didn't have, um, the, the hotspots didn't work. Uh, we, do, we do know that all of our students we, we surveyed have a device in hand, a mobile device. Now, learning on your phone is not ideal by any means. Um, so we had conversations about that. You know, how, how do we do learning via, you know, a mobile app? Uh, th- that's not ideal at all, even though all of our students have a mobile app. One of the things that um, luckily for the state of Arizona, they are a rural broadband um, funding has come from the state. Um, that's going to go out to rural areas. But again, you can't necessarily assume that every household is going to have the ability to have the bandwidth for multiple members of the family to be learning online or working online. Uh, so that is another thing that we learned in our conversations. It was great, but I had to wait till um, you know my brother got off the internet before I could get on because with too many people on, it kept, kept kicking us off. Would, be, would so, it be wrong of me to tell you that I took my three and six year old off the internet so that I could be on? No, it would, I, and they missed some school because of that. No, they really didn't just. For but that, that happens. And, you know, we had employees that that even occurred to that they weren't able to, um, you know, they had to kick family members off just like you, Joe. So we have to have the conversations beyond just, how, you know, equity. This is the thing about equity. Equity in higher education is refers to ensuring that each student individually receives what they need to be successful through intentional design of the college experience. So at Central, I have conversations about that definition. Okay, so how do we intentionally design this so that each student has the best educational experience 
given their circumstance, you know, whether they live at the base of the mountain and, and can't get broadband, how do we how do we design an educational experience for that student? How do we design an educational experience for a student who is living with multiple family members um, and, and may have um, food insecurities, but also may need access to Wi-Fi? And so going through and looking at each potential student experience and then looking at our educational instructional model from that mindset. Hey, anything you want to add to that? So we, we did something similar. Uh, we uh, provided hotspots to our students, um, which means we also were paying that monthly charge for that hotspot. And we also had loaner laptops available to them. We also had to do that for our employees and uh, because they didn't have that equipment at home. Uh, one of the things too that we did um, based on what we were hearing is that we uh, put Wi-Fi in one of our parking garages because for some students, we heard their home situation wasn't good and it would be better for them to be out of their house. So um, we, we put that uh, in our, which was expensive, and we, we put that in our one of our parking garages. Uh, I would say what was more successful was actually the putting out the, uh, distributing the hotspots and the learner laptops. And we would tell students, uh, you know, we had this dro whole drop-off structure because it was COVID and you know, we, they had just had a pop open their trunk call. We have somebody go out, everybody was masked, gloved, everything. And um, now it's, it's less, um, less we, we're still in, in this area wearing masks at least through July one, um, but we still are providing these services for our students and our employees. And it's the same, it's the same issue that we, we don't have the, the mountains and uh, the valleys that, that Jackie does where she is, but it's just the lack of having the necessary equipment because students before were looking off their phones or, and, and they didn't have computers. So what did we learn from this? What we learned is that we probably will have to continue this even post COVID and figure out a way financially to do it because what's been supporting us are the funds from the federal government which we have seen the last of. So when you think about this going forward, well, where would you get the money? Well, most of us have foundations where we do fundraising. And so I see that as a possibility for us to uh, go out to our donors and say, you know, these are the basic human needs. We've already done that, believe it or not, with food, food insecurity. It has been, this is pre-pandemic, a major issue. And so we have, um, you know, we have a food pantry at our campus. We've had it for over four years now. We have actually uh, an organic garden uh, where we would um, grow food and make that available, fresh food for students. So it's, these are challenges that our students are facing that when I started in higher ed many, many years ago, you would never think of this as being um, a need. And I think what's happened as we continue to have um, the, the shrinking of the middle class, the expansion of the um, lower, lower class, uh, and the, um, the need is just growing and, and to, to a degree that we never could have imagined happening. And where do these students come when they do go for education? They're coming to the community colleges. That's why they're so critical to, uh, to our, our nation and to the workforce and the development of the workforce because we're an affordable option we're close to someone's home. And then we have all the wraparound support services that students need. 
and we're focused on our mission. Uh, in our case, our mission at, at HCC, Howard Community College is providing pathways to success. And everything we do in terms of student success uh, is focused on making sure that our students can get to their finish line. And whether that's a short-term training program, an associate's degree to go right into the world of work, say, go right into nursing or allied health field or cybersecurity, or on to transfer to a four-year institution. Kate, I had, um, that was an amazing uh, summary, but I had this vision of your organic garden. Yes. And, and Jackie tilting back in her chair, laughing about her organic garden in the Arizona heat all wilted from the sun. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, we're dealing with cicadas here. We got a whole other issue. Oh, yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> I think I'll take the heat over the cicadas. I don't know. It was 115 the other day. Oh, okay. I'll take the cicadas. Yeah, same here. <laughs> well, you know, Kate, I want to stay with what you said just for a second, because you talked about the workforce and community colleges. And so I want to make this connection here. To, to diversity, equity, as you defined it, Jackie, which was great to, to hear the way you defined it in uh, inclusion. When we talk DEI in higher ed, we're just not talking about it internally at our university, the initiative that we did, although all that is important. We're talking about educating a population of students or a diverse population of students that goes into the workforce and then the workforce becomes more diverse and then the workforce that's more diverse uh, uh, has consequences of better uh, economic benefit because there's more people with more ideas and more culture in your workforce so you're talking about educating a workforce not just DEI at the university although that's uh, as I said that's important so sticking with that for a minute why is there and this is kind of off topic but but on why is there or do you both uh, and I'll start with you as I said Kate What's the deal around the community college stigma that exists? Maybe you, you'll disagree that there is a stigma, but there, there, there is, or at least from my perspective, there is the, that there are those within our community of higher education that look to the community college as a less than, whether it be private school or elite institutions, blah, blah, blah. But the community college to me represents a, a affordable, fast skills building option to help a diverse population get back to work. In fact, probably the anchor of how we recover economically. What's the deal with that stigma and why, why does it exist? Do well, think? Joe, I am just so glad you asked this question because I am a community college graduate. And when I was um, growing up, I, I came from a working class family, uh, oldest of six. My parents always encouraged me to go to college. So when I was a senior in high school, I said, all right, mom and dad, I'm ready to go need the money. They said, we got six kids. We don't have the money. So at that time, community colleges were up and coming, really didn't know too much about them. Um, I grew up in a, you know, I went to an old girls Catholic school for 12 years. I was ready for something else. Uh, and uh, I was discouraged about going to a community college. It was the best decision I made in my life. Because I, at the time I was going to school, it was in the middle of, um, you know, the Vietnam War was ending, women's movement was happening, civil rights movement was happening. It was such an exciting time to be in an environment where the world was changing and being open to all these wonderful ideas and having the opportunity to be able to afford to go to school. Because other than that, I wouldn't have been able to afford to go to college. Right. So with my associate's degree from Community College of Philadelphia, I went on to Penn State for my bachelor's, uh, Villanova University for my master's, 
and my doctorate from Weiner University. That could not have happened unless I started. And how the other story is, I met my husband at Community College of Philadelphia. I couldn't afford the Spanish 101 book. A teacher put us together and said, you two share the book. So I know those feelings that students have of the embarrassment about being called out in a classroom because you couldn't afford the book that you needed for the class. So to me, I, you know, my whole passion has been about making sure students have everything they need to be successful in college. And I know the impact and I know how families get all tied up in the status thing, senior year about their kid has to go off to a four-year school. Well, guess what happens? Yeah, they go off to the four-year school and some of them are very successful and they do well, but many of them don't. Many of them, by the time spring semester rolls around in January, they're back home. Their parents are saying, well, you got to do something with yourself. So you're going to go to the community college. And guess what? We have success story after success story because people made the wise choice to come. So for many students, community colleges are their first choice. But for many students, community colleges are their second chance. And that's what we're all about. Jackie, what do you think about that? I'm so glad you asked this question and you know and I think I think the more important conversation is that the um, research is there that a student that comes to a community college and completes an associate's degree is three times more likely to complete a bachelor's degree than a student that starts at a four-year institution so community college students are successful we we probably um, issue more degrees and certificates a year in the United States than all of the universities combined, when you think about it. The other thing, it goes back to what Kate said, it's called the SAC bragging rights. I wanna say my son's gonna go to the University of Arizona, uh, but not necessarily wanna say my son's gonna go to Central Arizona College and, and study welding. And But there's a subtext, it's kind of like the, the medicine commercials where they put all the little stuff up that says this can cause this heart yeah, you know, failure or whatever. You. Well, we have to talk about the subtext. So the subtext of my son's going to go to the University of Arizona, should read and graduate $50,000, $60,000 in debt and hopefully get a job starting out around thirty dollars or $40,000 versus saying my son's going to go to Central Arizona College, study welding go for free, graduate debt-free, and make $50,000 a year right out of, out of um, school. And, and so the other question on here is student loan debt. And when we talk about the student loan debt, and you can tell Kate and I are real passionate about this, sorry. Oh, you, about I, uh, yelling is encouraged, let's do it. <laughs> we're talking about canceling student loan debt. And the student loan debt that we have in this country didn't come from students going to community colleges. Yes, there was some contribution there, but the student loan debt we have in this country is from students going to the four-year, the for-profits, um, and those institutions. And then I also put the challenge out to people. Next time you're in a group of friends and, and they all went to college, ask a friend, ask your friends, raise your hand if you completed your bachelor's degree. And I'm a betting person a little bit, Joe, and I would bet that maybe not in your circle of friends, but maybe high school friends or, or friends that, that you have outside of, of higher ed, very half will raise their hand that maybe they completed a degree. But get a group of similar friends together that, that went to 
uh, a community college and ask them to raise their hand, did you leave your community college with a certificate or a degree? Much more of them are going to raise their hand. So we, we deliver results. And I'm not saying the four-year institutions don't. I, I believe that we have to all, we all have an obligation to change the stigma. And the time is right now because everything you hear coming out of Washington is about reskilling America. Well, guess who was created um, to skill America? The community colleges. Yeah, you know, I agree. I, I always, I've said before that if you're a, a director of student success or vice president of student access and success, blah, 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 you know, the titles are interchangeable. But if you're over seeing student retention in an elite institution, it is a far easier job, like 10 times easier than overseeing that that uh, group of student low income population, uh, students of need, uh, of the students of color who have, you know, significant life experiences happening around them in a community college or, or state college. That it's a it's a hard job because you have to literally engage these students. You have to facilitate success by through engagement. Right? It's not just that somebody's coasting through because they. They, it's just going to happen. Although that that can happen with some students, but but you got to work. You got to work in favor of the student. That's why I love community colleges and why I love talking with community college presidents because I feel like there's another level of passion um, that that that's there. And I, it's funny, Kate, and I'll come back to you uh, with this question. Um, the the uh, Gates uh, report comes out post value uh, post secondary value commission report talking about equity uh, closing the equity gap through education and and you know the college degree quote unquote is being questioned its value is being questioned uh, by technology companies by the average consumer and so on. The Alliance for Innovation and Transformation is an alliance of paysetters forward-thinking higher education CEOs committed to leading by example to show other higher education institutions how to innovate and transform their organizations in the face of unprecedented challenge and change. They offer learning, development, and networking opportunities focused on customer-driven value, innovation, transformation skills, and techniques, and approaches to help colleges and other organizations achieve the long-term sustainability necessary for their survival. AFITHigherEd.com is where you can check them out. AFITHigherEd.com. I saw the other day, a couple of weeks ago, and you know, one of the elite institutions that I won't say uh, came out with a an article, and it said, you know, uh, applications are up by you know forty percent. So there were twenty six thousand applicants, but you know, press release, uh, the press release, right, which is where you celebrate something that you did at your institution was 26,000 applications, but only, you know, 3,000 accepted and 3,000 got in. So congratulations us for having 26,000 applicants. And I went, only in education do you celebrate not taking students into your institution or only in certain parts of education. And I was, I was thinking to myself, any other business, would you admit that in any other business, if you're at Amazon, would you say 26,000, you know, customers came to Amazon, but only 3000 bought something? Yay. No, you wouldn't. You That would be horrible statistics, but only in higher ed does that exist. What, what does your institution do when it comes to DEI programs initiatives to serve the student in the way that I'm saying, where it takes that hard work, the work of engagement and service? Well, um, I'm very pleased to share with you that our college had been recognized by the um, Association of Community College Trust, Trustees for their 
National Equity Award back in, in 2018. And it was for the, the work that we do across the college in um, uh, the area of DEI, but particularly the work that we have done to close that achievement gap that has been our focus for our students of color, uh, our underserved students. Uh, one area in particular has been our black and brown males. Uh, we developed a program called Howard Pride and it provides all the services that the students need to be supported and get to completion. That's the important thing. It's not just about taking a few courses, it's getting done, it's getting uh, your degree, it's getting your certificate, it's getting you to transfer to another institution or go right into the world of work. We established a similar program for our Latino um, Hispanic students called Ambiciones. And uh, both of these, uh, these programs have provided um, a framework for excellence. What we did, in, which is kind of unique with the, the students of, um, in the Howard Pride program with our male students, uh, what we found is the biggest stumbling block for them, as it is for many students, was uh, math. You know, there's a lot of people, you either love math or you hate math, it seems. And um, for many of our students, they didn't really come to us with the skill set that they needed. So we focused, and this is based on data that we were looking at, we focused our attention putting resources into having our students be successful in math. And once they were successful there, the rest of the, the, the you know, the path was an easier one for them, but we hired math tutors to work particularly with these, uh, these students. Um, so it's looking, as Jackie had said earlier, at what students need and then making sure that you have the appropriate support for them. Uh, so we have a number of programs, but also, you know, a lot of the, uh, um, I guess I would say criticism against uh, support programs is the ability to scale up. Well, what we've done is we've learned that um, you, there's approaches that you take for student success that can be uh, expanded to other populations of the college. We spend a lot of time looking at data and we, we slice and dice it every which way you can imagine. So to, for us to keep it on top of mind, we incorporated the need for making progress with our uh, students of color, our underserved students, and we put in our strategic plan. So we measure this every single year. We put our resources into it. Uh, you know, you could talk about doing a lot of things, but if you're not measuring it and you're not putting resources and you're not paying attention and you're not sharing with the public and you're not sharing with your board, you're not doing your job. So I think that's one of the things that we have tried uh, to do at the college. And the other thing is you have to make sure your faculty and staff are on board with you. And part of that um, effort that we had is we do require um, periodic uh, training. Um, uh, on um, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our students, our employees rather, have to take uh, a, a certain number of diversity educational sessions per year. We have a multitude of diversity educational awareness events that are offered to, to both employees and students throughout the year. Um, and then we have a ma major promotional event at least once a, a year called our Diversity Week. Now it's Diversity, um, Equity, and Inclusion Week. So. Uh, we also recruit candidates uh, that we, um, we do our recruitment towards minority candidates. So we have a diverse faculty and staff. I think that's so important because you can lose sight of the impact that having a, a faculty member or staff member that looks like you has on a student and whether or not they stay in the course and stay with the program. So Liz, if Liz were here, she would say, Kate, say it louder for the people in the back. That's what she would say. <laughs> 
But again, it's measuring it. So every year, you know, well, we do it throughout the whole year, but we, we put our efforts into this. And I, I just, I can't explain it more than that, that it's so um, important to us, especially living in the community that we live in. It's the expectation of the people that are paying taxpayers dollars that we will do things to make sure that we have the best college, the best services, the best workforce training. We're the number one, as many community colleges are, the number one workforce training provider in our counties. So you, you know, if your county is diverse and you're not showing success among your diverse population of students, you're not doing your job. Yeah, well said. Jackie, how about you? DEI programs, initiatives at you know, your college, go for it. You know, we've done all of the, the things like Kate has talked about, you know, specific program, Hispanic Leadership Institute, um, those type of things. And we, we found that we weren't having the success we wanted. So um, a year ago, I mean, I, I said, all right, let's, let's take a different approach. And we developed what we call our equity dashboard, where we disaggregate data down to the point that we can understand how well uh, Hispanic males do with what type of instructional modality and with what type of instructor, whether or not it's an instructor of the same heritage or a female instructor or, um, or uh, you know, a male instructor. And so we, we can tell you that we know that African-American males do better in eight-week courses. We can tell you that Hispanic males do better with male instructors. We can tell you that um, our Asian students, interestingly enough, do not do as well with other Asian instructors. So we are really, so we use this information to inform advising and helping direct students. And it, we also use this information to develop our course schedule so that we know that we have enough of what makes students successful in the classroom. We've also started um, the Institute's, Institute for Evidence-Based Change. We are working with them on the Caring Campus Faculty Initiative, where we're interviewing our faculty members with the highest course completion rates across the board and asking them what, what makes the student successful in your class. And, and we're learning the themes. One thing we've learned is they're flexible. If a student is gonna be late with an assignment, they work with them, they're available. They, um, uh, they um, respond to emails immediately. Uh, but the flexibility is one thing that we've really learned, which I think is important when you're a community college serving a majority of uh, poor first generation low income students of which I was growing up, low income first generation trio works. I'm gonna put a trio plug in. I'm product of upper bound. But when you think about the meeting the students where they're at and looking at where they're successful. And we dig into this equity dashboard and, and we're even disaggregating it even further so that we can learn um, what, what works best. We also look at everything from an equity lens. Um, if we really wanna be an equitable institution where we des intentionally design the college experience for the individual student experience, uh, we have to look at what our textbook costs are. And we're moving to towards OER. I'm even thinking Ooh, about reducing- that's a big, big topic, Jackie. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. We're moving to OER. I'm also looking at reducing tuition. Uh, we don't have a lot of fees. Uh, we have course fees. I'm, I'm moving towards the direction of let's get rid of those. That's another barrier for students. So we try to look at every process, everything we do 
through that equity lens? And would this create a barrier for a student X in this situation? And if the answer is yes, then we're like, let's remove that barrier. Uh, we also made some policy changes. Uh, most colleges have that residency requirement that if you know you have to what take your last 12 hours at that institution to be able to get a, a degree or certificate. No, you can come to us. And if you only need one credit to finish a degree or certificate, and, and it was with another institution, whether it was Pima Community College or Maricopa, and you were short one credit, let's say that old fashioned PE credit, you can come to see CAC, take that credit, and we'll issue a degree or certificate to you. So really just looking at um, you know, our policies and digging down. And, and I think the initiatives are great, but what we were finding is we're doing all these initiatives and we're not moving the needle. Let's really get in there and figure out what, what, what isn't working, what's a barrier for students and, and tearing apart policies. And, and some aren't even policies, some are just long-term higher ed practices. Um, and yeah, they, some of these probably sound radical and controversial, but uh, at the end of the day, I was hired to do the right thing by students, not make everybody happy. Yeah, I mean, I think higher ed hasn't seen enough radical and controversial. I mean, certainly controversial, but not in a good way. Um, <laughs> d d d not as radical, though. I mean, you look at other industries, there, there are disruptors, true disruptors. And higher ed, the disruption can come from the outside, but the inside higher ed is so protected, right? The, the traditionalism of higher education is so strong and has been for hundreds of years. And so disrupting it really has to come from forward thinking leaders like yourselves from the inside that says, that say, hey, wait a second, why are we doing this? What, what is this? What is that? And that really, it, you know, to me, community colleges, right, uh, are, they're part of the region. You're serving constituencies in your region, in your area. How do you teach it? You know, let me ask this in a different way. How do you ensure that the students that you're, you're creating that have good outcomes that leave with an associate degree or credential are going to be successful financially, economically? And, and how do you measure it? And Kate, I'll start with you. All right. Well, we, um, of course, we look at data all the time. And one of the things that we do is we have uh, assessment of how we're doing. Uh, we, we use a firm, actually all the community colleges in Maryland use this one firm um, that does that assessment on the return on investment, both for the taxpayers and for our students. And um, what you can do, we do it statewide and then individually a college can do it. So on the, the last, we're about to uh, launch another um, survey. Uh, usually the data is good for about five years, but um, what we have found is that in a lifetime, uh, someone with an associate degree graduates from HCC uh, earns more than someone with a high school diploma. And that, that amount is over um, $428,000 in a lifetime. That's, that's massive, right? Yes, massive. And then if you look at the return on investments for students by increased earning power from having an HCC education, 9.4%. So, um, and then we look at that, uh, what's the investment for our county? Um, for our county, uh, it was $337 million. And that was from HCC students and alumni, how they strengthened the local economy annually, annually. Uh, so that's massive. And then if you look at for every dollar that's allocated to um, HCC, 
um, for every dollar, they get a 4.6% return on investment, um, both state and local governments for every dollar. So those, we look at the data and we do the assessment of that data. And again, it varies from school to school, but for a student, there's no question that they will get a return on their investment. And when you look at the, that's with an associate's degree. And if you look at that time frame, the commitment of the time frame, and the fact that you can have these resources available if you attend, that, that makes all the difference in the world. So um, again, you can, you can look at the national data and uh, we, as I said before, our majority of students are minority students here at HCC. So we feel like we are taking all the necessary steps to ensure that students are successful. And I have to commend Jackie on doing such a, a really granular uh, examination of the data um, that that's really impressive. Um, and we, as I said, everything we do is data influenced. I don't say we're data driven, but we're data influenced in what we do, because if you don't have that, you have drama. I always say, forget the drama, look at the data. A lot of people oh, yeah. do that chit chat about, well, you know, what this, if you do this, this is going to affect students. I always say, well, how many, how many, <laughs> how many people are we talking about here? And I always look for the data and I have found that that calms things down. It opens up people's um, minds to being um, more free with ideas and being creative and innovative because it's, it's hard to, to argue with it. You know, if you see, for example, your, your students aren't successful, well, let's look and see why. You know, you mentioned uh, the zero um, open educational resources. We have gone hog, a whole hog on that. I mean, we've been doing this for a few years now and our students can look when they, on the scheduled classes and either take courses where a zero textbook cost or low uh, textbook course costs. Now that we're taking a hit on that because we're not generating revenue from the bookstore. Right. So, but we realize it's worth it if we're able to retain our students and make sure they're successful. Right, your revenue, your revenue is, you, you, any revenue is recaptured in the student that doesn't leave because they couldn't afford exactly. the textbook, right? Yes. J Jackie, same same uh, question to you. You know, we're talking about, you know, economic, you know, DEI, a big part of that is the equity and it's economic and financial equity and wealth building, generational wealth building. So students have to get out and they have to find jobs and they have to work and be successful. And so how do you uh, ensure that that takes place uh, and uh, and how do you measure it and, and go from there? Thanks, Joe. First, I got to the thank you, Kate, for the compliment coming from a Baldridge winner. I mean, I'm, I appreciate that. Um, and I want to I want to step back a little bit and, and talk about disruption. And Joe, when you mentioned disruption and my radical ideas, it really comes from being a member of the Alliance for Innovation and Transformation, because we as educators, Kate and I go every year to our summer institute and we learn from people outside of higher ed because our business model is, is old, archaic and outdated. And so looking at Microsoft and Apple and, and others outside of higher ed have been really beneficial to me as an institution. I know Kate as well, being a Baldridge winner, but we, we do the same thing as Kate. I, I'm assuming she's talking about the MC study, EMSI. Yes. Yeah, yes. every community college has that. You know, it's funny, I, I, I get this great report and I, when we go out to tell our story and I say we are at community colleges in general, we forget to tell that story. 
the return on the investment and how well our students are do doing. Which is um, one of the biggest value propositions. I know. And we have it. it <laughs> Kate probably uses it all the time, but yeah, I, I, I do. It. It's in our fast facts. And every time I do a public presentation asking mm -hmm. for support at state or local level, they hear these numbers. So I'm going to do better at that. Because okay, Jackie. <laughs> hold me accountable, Kate. I will. I have so many other stories I want to tell. I forget the one. Jackie, this is being recorded. Remember, so now you're on recording <laughs> that you'll remember to do better. Oh, my. But but much like Kate, um, again, just using the MC study. But um, and, and I also think when you look um, when you think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we use these sayings that I use that definition, but the other thing that we really talk about at the college when we approach a process or a practice, or um, we do financial peace university with the students. I know, I'm sure you're familiar with that and financial literacy programming that came out of the Working Family Success Network. But we always talk about diversity means that everybody's invited to the party and let's make sure everybody's there and let's make sure that uh, we have a touch point with every student. They have the same opportunities to get the financial literacy, the financial coaching that might be needed so that they can be set up for success. Um, and then everyone contributes to the playlist, right? You're all invited to the party. You contribute to the playlist. Uh, many of our students didn't even have checking accounts because their parents didn't. So how do we make sure that we get you a financial tool in your hand, whether it's you know a, an old-fashioned checking account or some kind of online? Um, we introduce students to, um, you know, um, things like stocks. It's so easy now because you could do that with Robinhood. And then inclusion, everybody's asked to dance. And so in, in those situations, we make sure that every student has an opportunity to be involved in, in not only whether it's, um, you know, the programming that we have, and obviously we can't touch every student, but what we've learned over the course of this year is we can include everyone through Microsoft Teams and through Zoom and through WebEx because then we can meet the student where they are if they can't physically be on campus for these events and, and or programming. So, um, you know, just being really mindful about how we design and approach everything from an equity lens. Joe, can I just uh, do one more plug? Because uh, if not, Erica will be mad at me. But uh, for AFIT, the um, Alliance for Innovation and Technology, um, our college has been a member of that organization for over 20 years. And uh, the impact of, as Jackie said, looking at organizations other than higher education has made such a change in how we approach our work. And um, we, when we finish uh, attending the, the Summer Institute, as they call it, it's a, a, you know, a, a conference of a few days, we come back with takeaways. We bring a team there, we, the takeaways, and what is it that we are going to incorporate into the work we do? Just one example, we, we heard from an organization, I'm not sure which one it was because we've seen so many great institutions from the Ritz-Carlton to Mayo Clinic uh, to Southwest Airlines, you name it. But um, one was creating an innovation fair. And annually, we have an innovation fair where different departments throughout the college compete to win the crystal dragon. Our, our mascot is a dragon. And um, they, they uh, present what they've done at a, a huge fair of, that's been innovative and has had an impact on the metrics at the college. And those metrics could be either student success or creating um, efficiencies uh, within their department that impact the whole school. So AFIT has been probably one of the best organizations that we've belonged to. And um, I'm really appreciative 
of what we've learned from organizations outside of higher education. Well, let me ask my final two questions to each of you, Jackie, uh, since you started second, I'll start with you first on uh, on this question. There's these two questions. It's called double-barreled when you ask two at once uh, for the record. So you got to put them together in whatever way you want. What did we miss about Central Arizona College that you would like to say? Anything at all? And number two, what is the future of higher education going to look like? <laughs> um, can I pass to Kate? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... I I didn't really come on necessarily talk about Central Arizona College. I'm just passionate about education and community colleges in general. Uh, and I will tell a student, you know, go, I, if you choose Central Arizona College, that's great, but that may not be the institution for you. So I, I you know, it's a, obviously I feel like people ask me all the time, what I do for a living. And, and I don't like to say, oh, I'm a president of a college. I say, I change, I change family legacies. And that's how I kind of look at what we do as educators, especially when we're educating at a community college. I'm changing a family legacy for the, for the next generation. So I think that's probably the most powerful thing um, that we do. And the second, the future of higher education, um, boy, that's a tough one. I, you know, because I don't wanna go to a dark place, obviously, but I think we have to change. We have to reinvent ourselves so that the public sees value in a, a degree or a credential or a certificate. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a four-year degree or even a full associate's degree. We have many students that leave us with an 18-hour certificate of proficiency and get hired on and do very, very well in their chosen career field. So I think we have to, we have to be agile. We have to rethink the semester system that just doesn't work, that was based on an archaic model. We have to rethink this whole idea of shared governance. We have to rethink um, accreditation has to change. We have to be more agile. Um, and we have to be more open to um, being every more to students. Like, like Kate said earlier, I've been in higher ed over 30 years. I never thought I'd have a food pantry on my campuses. So we have to um, become we have to meet the students where they're at and in the experiences that they're having and then shape our business model around that. Oh, I like that. All right, Kate, last well, two to you. What did okay. we miss? And what do we miss about Howard Community College? Uh, anything you want to say, any plugs that you want? Number two, what's the future of higher ed look like? All right. I, I hate to, um, uh, I, well, I love mimicking Jackie, but, uh, but I have to agree that it's not so much Howard Community College that I, I want to talk about because I think I, I covered a lot of the great things that happen here. It's an incredible college. I will say for 12 consecutive years, we've been chosen as a great college to work for. And uh, that says a lot about the people who work here and their commitment and their, their alignment with their personal values to our mission um, and what we do at the college. So it's you know, I, I can't imagine working at a better place. And probably a lot of college presidents who work at, who lead community colleges would say the same thing. Uh, it's a privilege. I, I tell our employees, you know, we, we're really given a gift because when we wake up in the morning, we go to work and we're not going to be working with widgets. Uh, we're in the business of transforming lives. And that certainly is a gift. It's not something that everybody has the privilege of doing. And that's what we do at community colleges. We transform the lives of not only our students, but their, their families. It's like the old story about throwing a, a pebble in a pond, the ripple effect. That's how it is at, with the work that we do at community colleges. So 
I, I think we, we covered a lot of what um, is so special about Howard Community College and community colleges in general. Um, the future of higher ed, I'd say if, <laughs> if we don't adjust and don't change, uh, we're, we're not gonna make it, we're not going to be around. And you might say, oh, that, you know, higher education has been around forever. Well, there's a lot of things out there changing about higher education, including the public's perception of the value of higher education. And I think when people get to know community colleges, they're like, you know, I didn't know that I could get this kind of education. I didn't know that I could start an apprenticeship program in HVAC. I didn't know that I could do an apprenticeship program with AT&T and be an IT specialist. You can do those things at community colleges, our community college in, in particular, in terms of growing um, apprentices that we have. So what we have to do as leaders, we have to look at the horizon and realize our competition isn't really going to be from four-year institutions, I don't think, and going forward. I think our competition is going to be coming from places like Google, uh, Apple, other organizations that can put together uh, certification programs or certificates, short-term programs. So we have to be looking at what is on the horizon and be able to adjust so that we can continue to meet the needs of our community and do it in an affordable way. Well, I stand here humbled by great leadership by two absolute bosses. And I, I do want to say, um, as, as both Kate, Kate and Jackie said, the AFIT, the Alliance for uh, God, I lost the AFIT in my innovation mind. Innovation and transformation. Innovation and transformation. Uh, Forward-thinking higher education CEOs committed to leading by example to show other higher education institutions how to innovate and transform their organizations in the face of unprecedented challenge and change. There's learning, development, networking opportunities. You guys should check it out at afithighered.com. You have been listening to the amazing Dr. Kate Hetherington, of president of Howard Community College and the outstanding Dr. Jackie Elliott of president of Central Arizona College on this first episode of the Innovation and Transformation series brought to you by AFIT. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Kate. It has been an honor, and I mean it, uh, to listen to both of you and the innovative work that you're doing. Thank you, Thank Joe. You. It's been a pleasure. And Jackie, my friend, good to be with you as well. Thank you, Kate. And thank you, Joe. And um, good work, everyone. Appreciate what you're doing. Hey, everybody. We hope you enjoyed that episode of the Edup Experience. To learn more about the Edup Experience, please visit our website at www.edupexperience.com and subscribe to our email list. Please share this podcast head over to Apple, and please give us a rating and review. We appreciate your feedback. And of course, subscribe to the Edup Experience so you're notified when our episodes drop. Here at the Edup Experience, our goal is to make education your business. Thanks for listening.